Well, watching those videos uh, makes me think of uh, two different things. Um, one is, why am I preaching today? <laughs> you got the whole thing all right up there. Uh, but also, uh, how much it is speaks to today's world and to what we're going through. I, I was intrigued by his little dig there towards the Roman government and how they're going to control people in, the, in their time. So it's kind of interesting. How many of you are into home repair? Okay. Uh, how many of you watch uh, repair design shows? Okay. I know my wife does. Uh, well, if you do those kinds of things, and I'm not a particularly handy guy, but if you, if you do those, you know that one obstacle often faced are walls that are not plumb and um, floors that aren't level. Now, if you've ever noticed what we call have our pulpit, there's a big wad of paper stuck behind here. There's some piece of black stuff that's over here because obviously uh, this little podium is out of whack or the floors are out of whack. Uh, as I look back and I see the construction still going through, for the most part, I'm going to guess that it's pretty good. But see, sometimes this out of whackness, I don't know if there's such a word as that, it's a result of a house settling over a certain number of years. If you lived in a, in a house for a long time, it begins kind of to settle a little bit. Uh, other times, it's sloppy labor. We, we don't have good people doing the job um, because a good builder is always looking to make everything straight and level. And let's be honest. Today's world is not particularly level. It's kind of out of whack in, in all sorts of ways. Uh, values are shifting. Uh, I've seen a number of things on Facebook that say, I wish I was living back in the 60s. Well, I don't know if I want to live back in the 60s, but maybe how about the 50s? Or maybe somebody say, well, you know, it's really better, a whole lot better in the 40s. Uh, religious beliefs today seem to be up for grabs. I mean, who cares what you believe? There are a lot of people who who cares about your stinking Christianity? Uh, there are some people who, who don't want to hear. They have a whole different value set. They have a whole different way of understanding male and female. They have a whole different idea about how we should run our public schools or whatever than maybe what you and I uh, were raised with. Uh, Political correctness has everybody feeling unsteady. Now, because of this, I think this study here in these next five or six weeks of 1 Thessalonians is very appropriate. It It is a short letter that gives practical guidance on how to live straight in a very crooked world. Now, Paul's first letter, you you heard this up there, was uh, to the Thessalonians, likely was the second one that he actually wrote. A lot of commentators say he wrote to the Galatians first of all, but here Paul is speaking to a group of people who kind of starting a brand new church. That's why I thought about Restore as I going through all of this. And he's giving them practical Guidance and relevant truth to anybody who's willing to listen to what he has to say. Now, Thessalonica or Thessalonica or Thessalonikai, which is another way of pronouncing that word. I don't know if there's a word like pronouncing, but I like it anyway. Is in the northern part of Greece. And if you check your map, the city of Thessalonica is a port city on the northern edge of the Aegean Sea. Now, in Paul's day, this city was the capital of Macedonia. Uh, It was a major city because it happened to be located on what was called the Via Ignatia. It was a major highway that connected Rome 
off to the west, all the way back uh, to Constantinople, which would have been in modern-day Turkey. So that's a pretty busy highway. Now, if you go back, and it was alluded to in the video, Acts chapter 17, Paul's first visit to Thessalonica on his second missionary journey, he'd been traveling in Turkey uh, when he believed that God was calling him to advance his mission, God's mission, all the way into what we would call Europe. And Paul had a great desire to ultimately get to Spain and who knows, maybe even into England. So he goes to Philippi, then on to Thessalonica, where he ministered for only three weeks. And as a result of this little ministry, this kind of launching something, uh, a lot of people believed, a lot of Jews believed, and a large number of um, God-fearing Greeks also joined in, became Christ followers. But, as what sometimes happens when you walk into an area that is predominantly one religion or no religion whatsoever, this caused a little bit of disturbance, and they began a smear campaign against Paul and his traveling partners. So because of this, Paul and Silas have to leave town. Now, like any good pastor, you know, when you leave a church, I've left a few over the years, you're always kind of interested, how is it doing now that I've gone? Not because I was, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, but you're always kind of wondering, things were really good at Emmanuel and Belvedere. Now, I wonder, how are things now that I'm at Trinity Bloomington? Or now that I'm at Trinity Bloomington and I move on to Lord of Life, how are things back at Trinity? You're always kind of looking back and wondering what has happened to maybe what you have planted. And interestingly enough, he decides to send his young protege, Timothy, uh, to go back and just check up on the church. And Timothy reports, hey, Paul, it's going great there. But now they are facing some problems. There are some doctrinal problems, and there are some strong temptation from the surrounding culture. Now to that I'd say, does that sound at all familiar in today's society? That we have this, this uh, temptations from our surrounding culture and maybe even um, doctrinal divisions. Now in response to this, Paul starts out in verse 1. I don't know if we have verse 1 on the screen or not, but it says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So he's identifying the people that are with him. He says, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace be to you. Now, I want you to understand that when he uses this word church here in Thessalonica, he's not talking about a building. Uh, the church is really a, a body of believers. It is a group of people who've been called together by God. I mean, this building is not a church. You people are the church. Uh, the church was whatever a group of people are anchored together by a common belief system, here particularly Jesus. So when he's talking about the church of Thessalonica, he's not talking about a building, but a gathering, a faith gathering. Now today, I'm not going to worry so much about that verse. I want to get to verses 2 and 3. And this is where uh, what the church is called to do is very important. There are three indicators of a healthy church or a spiritual life. And there are three markers along the way. And we always, he starts off by saying, we always thank God for all of you. Mentioning you in our prayers, we continually remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by your love, 
and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you are, I just heard this this morning. Nancy had on one of her favorite uh, television uh, speakers this morning, Michael Youssef, who's a good guy, by the way. Uh, He said that um, less than 18% or less of Christians read their Bible every day. Part of me says I'm really surprised it's that much. (laughs) But not very many people are reading Scripture each and every day. But, you know, if you read Scripture each and every day, there's something that will begin to happen. Now, if you, if you were out at praise and worship, Pastor Mark would call these things hyperlinks in Scripture. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm old school because I go back. It's, it's, biblical, it's connections in the biblical narrative. That's that skinny little column in your Bible with those itty-bitty little things, and you're going like, why do they put that in there? Because uh, if I don't understand, I can read what some comment. No, don't. Go back and look at those hyperlinks. So the very first hyperlink that popped into my mind uh, had to do with Jesus' word, words to the church in Ephesus. And you pray, when was Jesus in Ephesus? Well, he's talking to the churches at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2. And he says, I know your deeds, I know your hard work, and I know your perseverance. Which is really what, he's, what Paul is commending these people for. And so he's saying the same thing uh, to this young church in Thessalonica. And I want to submit to you, he's saying the same thing to us today at Restore. So let's look at these indicators of a strong, healthy church. Here's the first one. It's working by faith. Working by faith. And um, there you see the passage. I'm going to come to this a little bit later. But Paul talks about the work produced by faith. Now, it's important you understand something here. The word for work here is singular, and that's really important. Paul's not commending them for their works, their so-called good works or good deeds that lead to faith. He's clear that you cannot gain your salvation. You can't have a relationship with God by anything that you do. He's talking about a change that comes into the life of every true believer as kind of a byproduct of faith. You have faith, and Paul says, you, you say you got faith, show me your works. Those works ought to flow from your faith. It's not the other way around. And it's really important as Christ followers to understand this, because the Christian faith is not merely some sort of an intellectual process. It's not just some class that you have to pass in order to get into heaven, like uh, you're going to get to heaven someday, or the gates, or the final judgment says, well, Should I let you into heaven? You say, well, here's my confirmation certificate, like I passed a class somewhere along the line. He's talking about a change in your life as a byproduct of faith. It's important to to understand this. Now, it sometimes sounds that way because we tell people to say a prayer, um, believe certain things, perform some initiation right. But Jesus, Jesus told people to pray, but he never... Uh, he didn't call people to just say a, a magic prayer. Uh, he called them always to follow him. Uh, he didn't call us to join a church. Rather, he called us to be his disciples. So true faith is not passive. Just not we just kind of sit there and, and hope we just get in. Uh, it, it's active. A true believer has made Jesus the one and only ruler of his or her life. So this is how James puts it. You see it up here. This is good stuff. Uh, James says, what good is it, my brothers or sisters, 
If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you just says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I've got deeds. And good old Paul, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You believe that to be true? All you have to do is walk up to one booth yesterday and offer them a card about Restore and they get shaky. Jeff warned me about them. I couldn't resist <laughs> to go down and offer one. No. See, James here is not arguing that you have to do good before you can be forgiven. He's saying genuine faith involves a commitment to Jesus as Lord that will change your life and it will change the way that you live. How many of you are familiar with Civil War reenactments? You know what that's all about? You've seen that before. Uh, what that is is people come from, well, probably all over the world, but they come together predominantly from the United States kind of as to put on a drama that um, depicts what happened during the Civil War in the 1800s. Uh, they have their Civil War uniforms, and most of them have read a great deal about the Civil War. Um, uh, and the participants in these react reenactments, though, are what? They're not real soldiers. Uh, they're not real soldiers in the Union Army or in the Confederate Army. They're just a bunch of people playing a part. In other words, they pretend to be a soldier for a couple of days, and then they all go back home and pick up their life as it was. Now, the true soldiers actually live the life. Uh, for my birthday, Nancy took me to see six. And uh, one of the most moving songs is, you know, six went down to five for a while. One guy bailed out to another a show in town. But they finally picked up the sixth brother, former Marine. A Marine who actually ended up in the Army. But to me, one of the most powerful times was when he came out in his, his, uh, his Marine camo and sang, I'm an American soldier. And I tell you, that just kind of got to me. This is a guy who had actually lived a life. He had not played the part. See, there are too many people in church today. This may sound harsh. You're kind of like people who reenact the battles. Uh, they dress the part. They speak the language. Uh, they actually know a fair amount of stuff about Christianity. But they're only kind of playing a part. They're just going through the motions without any emotions. Uh, the true believer is involved in the battle each and every day. Following Christ is their life. See, the healthy church, the healthy missional community, or those who call themselves, you know, quote, members, uh, are the people that are engaged in reading, reaching out to lost people. They're trying to find a way to impact the broken people that surround their particular building. And sometimes you're doing this in a pretty hostile world. But it's just not merely content. And I hope, I, I, hope I'm, I'm, I don't want to offend anybody this morning, but if all you're interested in is one hour a week and that being it and that not impacting any other part of your life, you're missing something here. 
And that's what Paul is telling these people there. See, the people of a healthy church are working to bring the message of Jesus, well, to their children, uh, into their community involvements, uh, into their finances, into whatever it is they do to choose to have fun. And so when there's a need, and I'm going to use Christian Action Ministries as an example, when there is a need in your church community, you rise to meet that need. There's going to be another opportunity you're going to hear more about a little bit later to get some training to be a part of a big youth event that takes place at Hollister. You rise to meet the need. In other words, it becomes evidence of the work of faith. Here's the second indicator. Laboring in love. Now, we tend to see uh, view faith as something uh, intellectual and love as something that's, you know, emotional. But Paul uses labor here, laboring in love, to denote something that's hard work. I mean, loving people is hard work. It's the kind of labor that produces fatigue, sleepless nights, even exhaustion. Now, we touched on this a little bit last week in talkback time, didn't we? <laughs> laboring in love. How do we relate to people that we find are somewhat unrelatable? Now, for example, when I talk to people about uh, getting married or about a struggling marriage, I, I often try to make the point, true love is not so much an emotion as it is a decision. Love is a, a commitment to, that you make to another person. And so the word Paul uses here for love is that Greek word agape. It denotes a sacrificial, intentional love. And, and there are two planes to this love, if you, if you will. First of all, there's a vertical love. And the vertical love is our love for God. Uh, the true believer is the one who truly is in love with the Lord. I think we have some songs. I love you, Lord. <laughs> we sing those songs. Uh, he or she is doing everything they can if you will, to align their heart with God's desires. Uh, now, does that describe your relationship with the Lord? I, I certainly pray that it does. If you don't have a love relationship with the Lord, this other one is going to be very difficult to do. So there's that horizontal plane where we express the love of God to other people. Now, let's be honest. This kind of love is not particularly easy. I mean, God has called us to love what? Even our enemies. Now, you can have, you have your own list of enemies. I have a list of enemies. We have some that are probably in common. And we are, uh, he calls us to bless those people who persecute us. We don't really have a, a lot of overt persecution in our country today, yet. Um, we, but we don't love them because, uh, well, we, like, we don't like what they do. We don't like people because, um, well, they're not as warm or gooey as we would like them to be. Um, and we love them only according to our set of standards, but we need to learn to love them because God loves them and they're valuable in his eyes. Now, i got to be honest with you. I, I struggled in putting this message together. I, I actually ripped part of it out, pulled it out, started again, threw one completely away and started it back over again. Because I just, I didn't want it to just come across as being law, but I, sometimes we need to hear the hard word of God as it's wrapped up by the gospel. You know, I'm going to be real honest with you. I find it easy to write off a lot of people. 
I do. I, I'm not as loving as you might think. Ask her. There are people that I hold grudges against. When somebody doesn't behave the way I think they ought to behave, I struggle with how to respond to them. When, when they don't respond to my kindness and they just kind of turn it against me, last time I'm going to help you, buddy, or budette, whatever the female term is. You know, and they don't immediately find me charming. <laughs> it's easy to dismiss a person and consider that they're not really worth the effort. In other words, if I, I should probably put these things up on the screen with my name on Barry only wants to love those who are easy to love. And if we are honest, we can all put our name in there. But God calls us to love all people. Why? Because those people also need the love of God. So when you truly love someone, you don't give up on the whole thing. You keep working. Uh, you look for ways to build a bridge. And I always think about our, our, our role is we build a bridge between us and unlikable people or, or, or to people who don't know Jesus. We build a bridge between us so that Jesus can walk over that bridge and bring that connection together. And you do it because you know that the person who you love is worth the effort. You love why? He loves you first. See, the healthy church is one that's involved in reaching out to the hurting, or we call them the broken. Uh, The day that Restore no longer is interested in actually moving outside the building to try to reach broken people in some way, it would be the day I think I would think about retiring. (laughs) And I would think about joining something that would be worthwhile to do that. But but I'm not ready to do that yet. Uh, We need to continue to feel like we are inconvenienced from time to time. It's not all... uh, bunnies and roses. Uh, True believers are willing to roll up their sleeves and to help other people. Why? Because broken people need what? Restoration. They need to be restored. Here's the third indicator. It's enduring by hope. Now, let's go back to Thessalonica for a moment. We know things were not easy. Uh, There was an opposition party. As far as I know, we have no opposition party. Uh, I have been in churches where I found out that there were people who were praying against our church, and that does happen from place to place. But no opposition party, uh, in, in Paul's case, there was an opposition party opposing virtually everything that they were doing. And I would imagine that they were called godless because they only had one god and they all had a whole bunch of them. Uh, they were called deserters of the faith. They weren't worshiping the state church religion. Uh, They were called heretics because their belief system didn't line up with everybody else's belief system. Uh, They probably faced economic pressure, losing jobs and not being able to get jobs. They probably had social pressure and maybe even legal pressure. But in spite of all of this, they endured. They hung in there. And I love this word endurance. Uh, You know, we endure. Uh, I love this for a couple of reasons because of the Greek, because I like the words uh, for endurance was hupomone. I like that. It just sounds kind of cool. Hupomone. Uh, or we also have endurance or patience, which is makrothumia. Uh, these words mean to bear up under. You know, you're kind of getting under the problem and you're going to bear it up. You're going to lift it up. See, our English word patience sometimes is, is almost passive. But the Greek words here 
had an active idea of tenacity, of long-suffering. We're going to endure by hope. This is something we're we're going to get out there and do. So these Christians in Thessalonica, or Thessalonica, were tenaciously clinging to the faith in spite of being opposed. And this makes me think of people who were abused during the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. Uh, They were beaten, they were ridiculed, they were often thrown in jail, but they continued to stand up for their rights as human beings and as citizens. Or I think about the martyrs in the early church and during the time of uh, the Reformation, Luther's time, who endured persecution, uh, torture, even imprisonment. I think about people today who continue to praise God and honor God even though their health fails, uh, or when they're rejected by other people. Loved ones die. Their job is downsized. Circumstances change. See, Paul tells us that the, re- that the reason the Thessalonians endured was because of hope. Hope. Now, we often think of hope as what, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. But biblical hope is not a wish. It's a strong confidence. It's certainty that's anchored to truth. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is where my hope is anchored. That's why, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, Christian symbol for hope is an anchor. In fact, sometimes I, I remember, it's not so much in, in liturgical churches you might see it, but there, you might see a banner that actually has an anchor on it. And it reminds us our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So we're patient because we believe life is not out of control, even when it seems that way, because, after all, our hope is anchored where? In God, in Christ alone. See, he knows what he's doing, believe it or not, even when we don't think God's got a clue. You ever prayed that, a prayer like that? Come on, God, don't you understand? You ever do a prayer like that? Well, I guess you guys are all better than I am. <laughs> I think we all do that. It's like, come on, this isn't fair. This isn't right. See, biblical endurance is an anchor to that hope that a better day is coming. We believe that uh, life, even if it's out of control, God is still on the throne. Now, we endure because we know that someday Jesus is going to return. And, and Paul is actually going to address a little bit of this at the tail end. We're going to talk about the second coming of Christ and all the stuff that has to do with at the t- end of this. But... Uh, I think I have another Bible passage up here from Philippians. and quoting here from uh, Jeff's favorite book. I guess I don't have that in there. From the King Jimmy. Um, Philippians 2, 10 and 11. I don't think I put that on the, on the screen. But some of you know this one. It says, and I'm going to preface this with a, with a little bit of a story. When I was teaching in Kazakhstan, in Almaty, Central Asia, a number of years ago, one of the pastors was preaching. And when he got to this verse, I'm going to read the verse and I'm going to tell you what happened. The verse is Philippians 2, 10 and 11. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When he was done, about eight or 900 people there all stood up and gave that Bible passage a standing ovation. And I remember a few of us Americans sitting on the platform was like, wow. A few of us pastors was, when did they ever clap for me? <laughs> And we got to talking about these people. They had come from all over to Central Asia, to Almaty and Kazakhstan. And they had come from places where they had been beaten and imprisoned. And 
tortured and oppressed and everything else. And when they hear this passage, they know it's not good now. But guess what? Let me read it again. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of things in heaven, guess what? The heavenlies and things in earth and things under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a glorious time that will be when that happens. See, we all know that God's preparing a place for us. Uh, the solid believer has kind of learned to view this life as uh, with a certain amount of perspective. Uh, so what are we supposed to learn from all of this today? There's a, there's a whole big giant wad here today. Uh, well, you can see some of the stuff on there we're going to supposed to do. Solid believers learn to live life with perspective. Uh, now, I think we should be led to evaluate our own lives. And we need to measure our lives by these three particular characteristics. I mean, if people, only, if people looked at us today, what we do, would they see the impact that Jesus has made on us? What are we doing as a congregation, a missional community to serve the Lord? Are we operating as a business or as a shelter reaching out for the hurting? What are we doing to reach non-Christian people around us? Would a stranger feel welcomed in our midst or would they feel condemned? Would we embrace them or ignore them? Are we willing to continue to be faithful no matter what happens in the future? Those are good questions to ask. How hard are we working at love? Are we making an effort to reach? Are we enduring in the faith or are we kind of spending our life spinning our wheels or even grumbling? Uh, are we fueled by hope? The hope of Jesus Christ. See, as a missional community uh, called Restore, I think we need to ask, we need to ask continually, if people look only at what we do, would they see the impact that Jesus has made on us? What are we doing as a group of believers to serve? Are we operating as a business or an outpost reaching hurting? Uh, what are we doing to reach non-Christian people around us? Would a stranger feel welcome? Are we willing to continue to be faithful even if it gets to be tough? Now, all of those are really difficult questions. And know that even as I wrote those questions, I need to answer them myself. They're hard things. See, if we only measure our lives by what's around us, we're going to find out that we will be crooked just like the rest of the world. Uh, our job, though, is to live straight lives. And to do this, we need to take the level word of God and apply it to our lives and be willing to make whatever corrections necessary to make sure that we're level. Now, I don't really have much of an ending to this message today. Because <laughs> when I got to end with these three verses, it's like, what else can I say? Uh, well, here it is. We've only we're only beginning. we only got three verses. There are going to be a whole lot more questions in this book to ask about our life as Christ followers. And I don't know about you, but i got enough to do this next week just based on what I wrote today. And maybe you do too. God bless.